Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Radamek. Berto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being here with us. We have a great, a, a, a great activist out here right now with us. Uh, Mondale Robinson. He usually says W. Mondale Robinson is here with us. He is the founder of the Black Male Voter Project. He's also the National Political Director for Democracy for America. He's a political contributor to the Village Celebration. And I know that he also has a podcast that he's going to tell us about. Anyhow, welcome to Politics Done Right, Senor Mondale. How are you doing today? Peace, brothers. Good to see you outside of the confines of Netroots. So I ain't get to shake hands with you this year because of COVID, but it's good to see you. Hey, it's great seeing you, man. I, I, I tell you, you know, I'm from original from Central America, and we're a huggy, huggy culture, and this is hard on me. This COVID thing is hard on me, but you know what? Yeah. I'm going to see you. Hopefully, we're going to all be taken care of that we can see each other in August when we uh, have Net Roots right. 2021. We'll see what happens then. Anyhow, mm-hmm. Mondale, how you been? Man, busy, man. Um, trying to, one, survive COVID, make sure I'm safe, and also ensure that, uh, you know, the, the politics of Black men are heard and also seen in this country. So, yeah, super busy with that. Not to mention uh, the stuff we do at Democracy for America and the podcast Clickbaity Political Thirst Trap. I'll tell you what, let's, let's go give you a plug for that first. Tell, tell us a little <laughs> bit about your new, it's a new podcast, right? Yeah, I mean, we started it um, in March of last year. So, you know, we've, we've been going strong, man. Uh, it started out as an evening podcast. We did it two times a week. And then uh, right in the middle of it, we saw that it was something bigger than and, and folk were vibing with it. So we took it to a morning podcast. So every morning around 830-ish to around 1030 to 11 o'clock, we're on air um, on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, yeah, just streaming live, man, at the Ben Dixon Network. Um, oh, you're working with Ben the other Dixon. The two co-hosts okay. are Ben Dixon and Marcus Farrell. Great. Yeah, yeah. I tell so you ben, what, give ben, us... joined the, ben, ben joined the podcast later. Excellent. Give us the link that folks can go to to pick up that podcast, the website, and so forth. Yeah, so the easiest way to get the podcast is go to Facebook and go to Clickbaity political thirst trap clickbaity political thirst trap and you can find the podcast i mean we have some great whole uh some great visitors we had uh cornell west uh this past week we had nomiki cons we had um yeah we have a ton of people come join the show man it's a wonderful conversation it's a safe space for black men political thought so it was, it was formed as a uh you know a byproduct of black male voter project well, excellent. What I'll do is uh, when, when I get this blog out and this show out, I'll tag you guys directly on the, on the blog as well. Anyhow, tell me a little bit about um, Black, voter, Black Male Voter Project. Why did you, why did you found this, um, this organization? Uh, because I was in politics for 20 years, and, uh, and I didn't hear any of the white consultants that control uh, democratic or progressive politics speaking in a way that was conducive to increasing Black men's participation in electoral politics. Uh, we know that nearly half of the Black men in this country that are already registered to vote, nearly half of the Black men in this country that are already registered to vote have not voted in six consecutive elections. And that's not a critique of black men because we know people turn out to vote because resources are spent on them. And since no one was spending resources to prioritize black men, it was weird to believe that you were going to increase black men's participation 
in electoral politics, especially when you couple the fact that they weren't prioritizing our needs and also the fact that black men don't have their basic needs met. And if you consider the lessons learned from Maslow hierarchy of needs, that tells us if a person don't have their basic needs met, they can't think about things that are self-actualization. And the way we play politics in this country, it seems a self-actualization. And so black men didn't have time to think about voting because no one was talking to them about the fact that uh, politics could really address, uh, if done properly, it could address the fact that we are transient in housing, that we are underemployed, that we are, if we are even employed, that we could use politics to address the fact that we are over-sentenced or overrepresented in those who are killed by cops or overrepresented in those who are suspended or expelled from school. These are all political issues that weren't being presented to black men in a real way. The way the politics come to black men are a very transactional way, two months before an election, talking about uh, a candidate prioritizing a personality or talking about a party that didn't really speak to the needs of black men. So we, re we, th we threw all traditional campaigning out of the window and revamped the way we came up with politics and how we played politics and presented it to black men in a hope that we can expand the electorate and bring more brothers out to the poll. I think that is so important. You know, one of the other things that I'd like to, and I'd like you to address this as well. There's a whole lot of, I mean, there were millions of dollars, billions of dollars that was spent in the last election. And uh, what I notice is a whole lot of consultants get these $10,000 contracts, these $15,000 contracts, these $50 million contracts. But somehow, uh, from what I've understood, uh, the different groups that comprise, let's say, the Democratic Party, it's usually not spread out to these different ethnicities, people who can better address within their communities that which will bring people out to vote. Is that part of what the reason that you formed this to ensure that you can say, this is what I represent. You want this vote, fund this vote. I mean, so, I mean, you're not, you're not off. I mean, the Democratic Party on the presidential election last cycle, 2020, spent $1.3 billion. And less than 5% of that went to people of color, not just black people, less than 5% went to all people of color. So when you consider that uh, less than 5% of the consultants of that 1.3 billion went to black people when black people overwhelmingly make up the democratic base percentage wise, it is absolutely weird. Um, yeah, I think, I think our, our, our reasoning and our, uh, the reason we founded black male voter project has everything to do with the fact that had everything to do with the fact that uh, we needed to address our issues in, a, in an effort to bring black men to the poll, to expand the number of brothers that were voting. And we could no longer wait on the Democratic Party and all of its auxiliary, including its candidates, to do the work of engaging us in a way that was, uh, one, culturally appropriate and also one that was effective. So we created Black Male Voter Project not as a benefit to the Democratic Party, but as a benefit for our community, because we know when black men vote, uh, there are more progressive ideas and candidates elected, and that's beneficial to the entirety of our community. So the, the, the need to form Black Male Voter Project has been there, I mean, for 150 years, if you consider that Black men were the first demographic out of, after white men with the passage of the 15th Amendment to get the voting, the right to vote. But anybody that believes that the 15th Amendment actually gave Black men the right to vote have not been paying attention to American politics. What it actually did was make us the first people to be victims of voter suppression, and it has been consistent if you consider the fact all the ways that our white people now try to hinder people from voting, uh, i.e. criminal records, 
i.e. voter identification, i.e. Uh, the closing of polls, i.e. shortening of hours, all of these things negatively affect black men uh, more than most demographics uh, in this country. No, so um, we created we, Black Male Voters Project as a way to, as a way to inform brothers and to to let them know that voting uh, is is part of it. But being civically engaged is more important. And we know that when once brothers are civically engaged, then voting will become a byproduct of that new mentality. Now I understand that you're currently in 13 states: Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Mississippi, Florida, Alabama, Texas, Arkansas, Ohio, Indiana, New York, and New Jersey. Do you intend to make this a 50-state proposition? Well, we are currently in 17 states now. Um, oh, so, so you, okay. uh, we, we, yeah, we're, we're already expanding. We're in Michigan. We're in uh, Wisconsin, Ohio as well. So, yeah, um, and Kentucky also. So, yeah, we are we're definitely uh, it's, it's, it's our job to be wherever black men are. Um, I don't know about 50 states because, you know, there's 220 brothers in in uh, in uh, North Dakota or something. You can't forget about Alaska. North Dakota, Mondale. We can't forget about North Dakota, but I don't think it's efficient, uh, effective <laughs> and efficient to, uh, we, we have a better chance of calling those brothers, asking them if they want to move down south somewhere where the weather's better. <laughs> but I mean, we, we're definitely trying to be in places where uh, black men exist in a way that, you know, that's, that's significant. And if, if you think about it, um, it's the missing piece. Our when we when we started Black Male Voter Project, our goal was to close the gap between black men and black women. So the ten percent of where you know black women vote higher than black men, um, that was our goal to shut that down this year by five percent, and um, and in the future by making it you know at least uh, even or even where black men are voting at a higher percentage if if possible. Then sisters, knowing that this is a beneficial to the work uh, that's necessary to to bring black bring black men. Uh, into the political fold in a way that their issues are seen and their voices are heard. Now, uh, Tracy, uh, Stacey Abrams in uh, Georgia was very successful in uh, bringing out people of color and uh, people of color and uh, underrepresented people, the works. Did you work with her this cycle in Georgia at all? I mean, I, I, uh, so not, not directly. Uh, we, we both sit at the C4 table. Um, and um, so I mean, Fair Fight is her organization, so we 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 bothly we we both sat on those calls. Her organization and my organization sat on the C four calls uh, on a weekly basis, sometimes multiple times a week, and uh, we, there was information sharing happening, of course. Um, and then also at the end of the cycle, uh, Stacey Abrams' organization sent us a, a a check also. So shout out to Stacey for that. Uh, her her saying our work and saying that this is this is a work that we need. Uh, this is work that she wanted to support. So shout out to the team over at Fair Fight for doing that. Um, but Black Male Voter Project is a unique uh, monster. We we reach out to organ. We do the work that some organizations, most organizations can't. If you consider in Georgia, there's nearly one million Black men that are registered to vote, and before 2020. 460,000 of that million had not voted in six election cycles, federal election cycles. So that means they didn't vote for Stacey Abrams in 2018. They didn't vote in 2016. They didn't vote for Barack Obama in 2008 or 12. But of those brothers, we turned out 104,000 black men. So black men that were registered to vote before 2008 that did not vote for Barack Obama in 2008, 2012, nor did they vote in 2018. They came out to the poll this election cycle, 104,000. So you can New actually came to the poll. You can claim a piece of that action that's actually got the win. That that's huge. An extra hundred thousand men. That's huge. Now, um, what's your what? How do you do it? 
Now, you don't go to KFC and ask them for their secret sauce. Come on, brother. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, so what we do is we, we just we shut down um, the transactional nature of campaigning. We don't come to brothers two months before an election. We actually spend an entire year talking to brothers uh, about their issues. And before we start talking to them, we spend the first part of that year listening. We have these conversations called Brothers Be Voting, where there are no cameras. There are no women, there are no white people. It's just black men in a room and we're listening to brothers and we overpopulate for regular black men, brothers who are uh, drug dealers, gang members, people who don't vote regularly. And we, are like, we invite one or two political people in the room, but not so they can filibuster the conversation, just so they can listen and see how wrong they're getting in politics. And from, that, from those conversations, we build out a national platform with the top three issues for black men. And we go around and engage brothers on those issues. And we, before we uh, get into any political engagement, we ask brothers five or six questions. Those questions are, uh, what's missing from your community? Who are the leaders in your community? What's necessary to make your community whole? What's necessary to make you whole? And who, and who uh, do you see as a leader individually? So we, we take those three issues and build out uh, a platform talking about those five questions or five or six questions. And then we engage brothers five or six times around those issues and also those questions. And after that, we begin what looks like a traditional campaign where we start talking uh, how politics affect one, the issues that they said were important to them, plus with those national issues as well that we identify through our brothers be voting conversations and from there we start persuading brothers on how you can make a change how you can engage these issues and how voting can change those issues not that voting is the only tool that's necessary to get us free but it's definitely a tool to put in your box to help us get closer to liberation you know mondale that that is magic the thing about it is uh the thing that you said there you just listen. You first start listening. You start trying to develop a relationship with them and not just, I need your vote. It's developing a relationship and seeing what actually will make a difference within that community. That is magic. And that, that will always work. Now, I want to kind of go on a little sidetrack here. Um, we've been seeing over the, between 2016 and 2020, first of all, in 2016 and then past 2016 to 2020, that black males have supported uh, the, the likes of Donald Trump in a manner that I find uh, I, I don't understand. What can you tell me about that? It, it's not true. It's not. Okay. Uh, so Explain, like, please. Yeah. The, yeah. So, so yeah. So there was an exit poll. This, this whole, like the narrative uh, came out like after 2016 because 12, you know, 12% of in 2016, about 12 to 15% of black men voted for Donald Trump. But what people forget is that every election cycle, somewhere between eight and 15 percent, 18 and 20 percent, I'm sorry, 18 and 18 percent of black people vote Republican. This is not new. Actually, if you look at uh, every Republican nominee for president, Donald Trump did worse than all of them, except for Mitt Romney and, and, and John McCain, which were two Republican candidates who lost the president's a presidential election. Um, so and in this election cycle, Donald Trump actually did not, no better with black men than he did in 2016, which is where black men always fall. The idea that black men are, are running to Donald Trump is a, is a myth that was passed by one consultants who were saying all throughout the year that, one, there's no motivation for black people to go to the poll. And then secondly, black men are going to vote more for Donald Trump because he was, he was braggadocious or he was rambunctious. And I saw all types of people play to this narrative from posters to Barack Obama. I even heard Barack Obama say, oh, black men like Donald Trump 
because of rap music and rap music is appeasing to Donald Trump. But if you look at rap music, uh, this is this shows that uh, there's a disconnect between Barack Obama and the, the black men in this country. Because if you look at rap music before Donald Trump ran for president, there was always songs about Donald Trump and his money. But when he began to run for president, there was a song called F Donald Trump written by <laughs> Nipsey Hussle and YG yes. in 2015. And there's not been a positive song in rap music about Donald Trump since then. So the world continues to try to play black men in a certain way, but we continue to show up. And the reason I know this is because not only in uh, Georgia, but in all the states we worked in, we saw black men voting at record numbers in the Democratic primary, even in most cases, higher than what they did in 2008 for Barack Obama, this election cycle. And to vote in a Democratic primary is to say that you voted, you were voting against what Trump stood for. But people just rejected this idea and continue with this bad narrative. Um, I don't no, know I why I think people get a kick out of, uh, you know, kicking black men when we're down or whatever well actually that that is a that is a common let me tell you that is one of the reasons i do independent media one of the reasons that i do independent media is because a lot of times uh a narrative gets placed whether it starts at fox news or it starts somewhere else and then everybody pick up on the same piece and as opposed to any somebody else picking up somebody like let's go to the uh, black male voter project and interview these guys who are sitting with these folks and find out what the real story is Somebody grabs the narrative and take off with it. And, and to some extent, that's sort of a disrespect that I find in today's politics on all sides. And yeah. that is that yeah. um, a lot of times people are asking questions of, uh, of, of a consultant that has nothing to do with that community. And they're asking them, what do you think about that? I, I recently was at a, an, in a board meeting and I, I, I didn't say anything. I just kind of smiled. When I mentioned something about how people of color saw the this the the uh, in, not, saw the insurrection that we just had, you know, to people of color that wasn't any nothing strange. To people of color, it was like we get an opportunity for you to see that people can act the fool, people can be violent, people can be killers, and police officers or veterans your neighbors exactly exactly but when we say that when black folks or latinos or other people say that it's like oh you're just you're just saying that well america got to saw on national tv these people ransacked the capital and most of the police did what again mr Mon- mr robinson stepped aside and let them do it exactly let me let me let, let me let me just say something to you I, I want to go a step further, and, and I hope I'm not offending you when I say this. It is absolutely true that uh, what, we, what we just saw was a ransacking of the Capitol. But what we actually saw was that patriotism in America is synonymous with white supremacy. Uh, we saw veterans. I'm a Marine Corps veteran. We saw veterans. We saw police officers. We saw elected officials show up and try to take over and overthrow the government. America is a banana republic and Donald Trump has a large role to do with it. So we, we just got to be honest in all of these terms and all of this, this shenanigans that we, we keep playing, playing lip service with. It's dangerous because what's happening is America is on display and its whiteness is ravaging uh, this, this democracy right now. I, if, unless people are willing to address it, we are, we are, we are at a dangerous uh, pressure point in our, in our space. And that is, that is important to note because I, I've said that on my program as well. You have to understand exactly what's going on if you're going to fix the problem. And what's going on is 
there is a there's a sect in this country that white sect in this country that uh if things don't go the way that they think it should go, they are willing to destroy the country to ensure Absolutely. that it does. And Absolutely. I don't know why you thought that would offend me, but I'm, you know, <laughs> you know, some people, some people, some people don't, some people don't, I appreciate you doing independent media and doing it right. Um, so I don't know why I thought it would offend you. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just kind of curious, but anyhow, uh, Mondale, uh, when I'm about to close every interview, I asked, what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. I think, I think for me, um, I like to tell people, you know, why, what the difference between me doing politics and some of my white friends that do politics and why I got into politics. Right. So, um, if you would have asked me why I, why I do politics, I would have told you that, um, I, I didn't, I didn't start doing politics. Politics started my life, um, partly because my father, uh, who was the son of a sharecropper uh, was, was born on a uh, plantation, meaning he was the son of a sharecropper. And uh, he got a felony conviction for smacking a white boy who, whose father owned the farm because the white boy smacked my grandmother and knocked her off the porch. Wow. And his punishment was nothing. But for my father, they had first, my family had to run, had to take him to Virginia and hide him for two years so that the Klan wouldn't kill him for hitting a white man. But when he came back, he got a felony conviction. And that that limited our lives and what we did. It, it forced us to grow up in poverty um, because it started a cycle that didn't end. Um, you know, the F, the F is the scarlet letter for black men in this country. And uh, we, we growing up in, in Eastern North Carolina, extremely poor, and my dad having a felony conviction. Uh, my entire life, I wondered why my dad, this man who could do anything from uh, pavement, laying pavement to putting roofs on houses to building houses almost, but we were always poor. It, it blew my mind. Coupled that with the fact that uh, the white man that was the fire chief of my hometown was the same white man that sprayed my mother with fire hose her entire life for being downtown at the dark only because she was black. Uh, so growing up in North Carolina, even though I'm 41 years old, I got to witness uh, remnants of segregation and Jim Crow in a way that most people thought was over my entire life. Um, and that's why I do politics. And that's why Black Male Voter Project exists. Mondale, you do it well. Mondale Robinson, founder of Black Male Voter Project, National Political Director for Democracy for America, among many other titles. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.